there's a lot, definitely a lot to unpack with those types of questions. So I, I think, you know, using examples like the dead fish and the morphology, what, what's tricky is compared to traditional uh, sort of um, what we would call perhaps materials, living materials are really hard to predict. And so there's there's interesting feedbacks, um, you know. There's there's odd odd sort of um, a lot of this, I guess we would consider from from the biological and more more of a closed loop system. So there's all sorts of feedbacks, and these are really non intuitive. So a lot of what we do in biology is is really the old fashioned way. You just have to look. There's a lot of observation, and so a lot of our inspiration comes from curiosity and just mm -hmm. interrogating the system. Um, so, you know, I, I think absolutely we are able to understand and control aspects of morphology and understand how that feedbacks can feedback into the system. Um, and, and I think what, what's amazing to me is specifically, which we can talk about with our living robots, mm -hmm. what we're starting to understand is, is every extant system that we've investigated has been under... The, the purview of, of natural selection, right? So these have been in the natural world and have been selected based on the principles of inheritance and genotype and phenotype. And what we're doing now is, is we're starting to understand what if we uncouple design from natural selection? So what if we use a computer to design an organism, something mm -hmm. that could never theoretically exist in a natural selection scenario, but might be really interesting, sort of a, a biological robot, so to speak. And, and I think that's beginning to push the limits of, of what we understand yeah. on how morphology and shape can play into behaviors and, and what sort of control knobs we have that we can tune in these systems. Uh, the, the definition of alive and living systems is actually still fairly controversial in biological circles. And so mm -hmm. different groups will define it differently. I would say for the purpose of building um, biohybrid robots or living robots, we would say that a living system is a system that in, in some way has its own biological metabolism. So it has a means of mm -hmm. energy production and a way of consuming the energy to produce some sort of effect, whether it's behavior or biochemical. Um, and I think as far as designing systems, I can talk about how we design ours. Uh, but the really the most vital question moving forward is within biology, we, we really have uh, compared to the diversity of organisms in the world, very few model organisms that we've brought into the lab to begin to use. And so from vertebrates, we have a handful, you know, six or seven, mm -hmm. and then we have a lot of single cell. And so we really have a, a extremely limited toolkit to begin with. So you could think of, imagine a robotics facility that only has two types of motors and three types of actuators mm -hmm. and maybe four types of scaffolds. That's sort of the level that we're at with our ability to, to use these organisms. And so when building, I think you, you think about a robot in the environment in which you would deploy a physical robot is really important for the design principles you would use. And so for us, it's very similar. So I build biological robots out of frog cells. I, I use a soft robot simulator with, in collaboration with my colleagues at University of Vermont, which simulates evolution to design soft-bodied robots with different types of cells to perform a specific function like moving, it evolves robots randomly. And then what I do is I go into a frog embryo and harvest stem cells and layer them from the ground up, basically decompose the embryo into Lego blocks. Each block is a cell. And then I relayer those Lego blocks or cells to create a new morphology where the cells develop and reattach. 
Um, and, and I think we can talk about why the frog is what I think right mm -hmm. now is the ideal system for this type of work. But also, um, it depends on your, your use scenario. So if you would like to build a robot out of cells to go inside of a human body, the needs would be very different. And uh, putting a frog cell inside of a human body would, would likely be very catastrophic mm -hmm. to the patient. Um, and likewise, if you would like something that can tolerate extreme temperatures, either hot or cold, the frog might not be the best uh, tool for the job. And so uh, I think just like traditional robots, you really have to define your application, which will help inform the type of material you'll use to build your living robot. Mm -hmm. That's really wonderful. Maybe I'm, maybe there's argument here about when, once you mentioned that maybe living tissue is hard to predict and it's maybe complex, as you mentioned. What are maybe the scenario for complexity for predicting the behavior? And if you think it's really complex to sometimes to predict the behavior, um, if we imagine that we, we can design a living system um, for cure uh, like, like cancer in human body, for example, Mm -hmm. What could be the limitation? And if you mentioned also frog cells is catastrophic to human body, also can also look great about that for designing so that we can have uh, a clear right. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So, so this is really interesting. And I've only begun to have conversations about this with colleagues, but, but biology really spans mm. the, the whole range of control systems. And so there are biological organisms that are very much open loop. Um, and so C. elegans is, is sort of a classic model. This is a nematode worm. It starts from a single cell and every single nematode uh, C. elegans that develops, develops with exactly the same number of cell divisions in exactly the same way. And the final organism has exactly the same number of cells in the same positions. And that cannot be perturbed. And if you delete one of those cells during development, mm -hmm. that whole lineage is lost. So it's completely predictable to the cell. Every neuron, everything is identical. And then you have other organisms uh, like, like Hydra, which is an aquatic organism mm -hmm. that you can literally put through a sieve and blend up, put together in a pile and it will reform itself, no problem. You can cut it in half and it will regenerate. And so, you know, we have these, these closed loop systems where there's all sorts of feedback. And for the medical community, this is these types of terms that roboticists use that I'm only beginning to be get familiar with are starting to come into play. And there's been some people who have thrown out just as a thought exercise, could cancer be a system in which you're moving from a closed loop to an open loop? Perhaps the cells in your body mm -hmm. are responding to their environment and they are developing along a certain trajectory that's healthy and they're producing a healthy tissue. But when they lose track of that, if they get into a cycle where uh, the system is open and it's just reproducing without any input from its external environment, that could lead to cancer. So this overproduction of cells that are not differentiating or participating in a healthy body. Um, so I think there's a lot of really interesting cross-pollination sort of terminology and, and design principles that hasn't really happened yet between the robotics and the biological community, but it's really fertile ground for research for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. So maybe uh, when you select, for example, the Genobot, the frog cell for designing this uh, tiny living robot, so that could be the most important question we have to consider in terms of maybe, this, this, as you mentioned, design, you have been cooperating with uh, Professor Josh Bonger at Vermont, but maybe the question from you, a biology asks the reports to that. That is a question I need answer from you guys so that we can maybe design or fabricate this cell. What could be this kind of question you have uh, corresponding with robotics side? 
Yeah, so I think what we constantly grapple with is um, the level of abstraction that's appropriate for each discipline. And so modeling everything in biology is, is, is clearly impossible. Number one, mm. we don't have the information. And number two, if we did the computation necessary to, to, to really model even within one cell, what is happening at a given moment would not be feasible. It is mm. incredibly complex. And so we constantly struggle with how far we can abstract out. And so from the, the, the robotic side, really understanding how the physics are modeled is pretty important. So the biology is, is, is really sensitive to things like stresses and friction mm. um, and deformation. Um, and sometimes the, the, the simulations produce things that when I see are just not possible. So, so for example, one, one practical example is uh, robots in simulation tend to form, form really hard edges, like a right angle. And in mm. biology, that is not something that we see very often. Like mm. you can think of a tree or an organism. There's not often something that comes out and then at a perfectly perpendicular angle forms a, a line. Uh, biology tends to round and smooth structures. And so sort of understanding how the simulation is abstracting the biology is important and make, making sure that the model is, is, uh, has a design filter that's appropriate for a biological system.